0: Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Are you considering a library construction project but have no idea where to start? Tape Architects has designed more than 100 libraries and has a 40-year history of excellence. Use our free library building planning guide to jumpstart your next building project. Go to that's tappe.com/dewey. That's t-a-p-p-e. dot com/dewey to download our booklet that explains each step of planning a new or renovated building. Get your free guide at tappe.com/dewey. Tappe Architects, designing places that inspire. Each year in our September-October issue, American Libraries presents its Library Design Showcase, where we highlight some of the most impressive new and renovated libraries across the U.S. that have opened over the past year. I've edited and selected the featured libraries in the Showcase for the past eight years, and I have to admit, it's one of the highlights of my job, being able to review and spend quality time with these buildings. We also include in the issue supplementary features along with the Showcase that highlight design issues affecting libraries ranging from construction planning to security concerns. This month, on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we look at some of the libraries featured in the 2020 Library Design Showcase issue. First, I speak with Wardell Ross Jr. He's Director of Houston Operations for architectural firm Moody Nolan. And he was project manager for Texas Southern University's new Library Learning Center, which is featured on the issue's cover. Actually, we discuss the library's features and how its design reflects and showcases the heritage of this historically Black university. Next, I speak with Susan Nemitz. She's director of Santa Cruz Public Libraries in Santa Cruz, California, about how that library shifted its remodeling and rebuilding plans to accommodate the COVID nineteen pandemic. But first, a word from a sponsor. Is your library in need of space, but you don't know if a renovation, addition, or new construction is right for your needs? Use our library assessment tool to help direct your construction process. TAPE Architects has designed libraries of all sizes, ranging from new construction to historic renovations and additions. Go to tappecom Dewey, that's T-A-P-P-E dot Dewey, to get your library building assessment tool. TAPE Architects. Enhancing communities through library design. Texas Southern University in Houston, Texas, unveiled its new library learning center in 2019. And it's honestly a sight to behold. A massive, angular, modern building that commands attention while inviting visitors in. Wardell Ross Jr. is director of Houston operations for architectural firm Moody Nolan, and he was project manager for the library learning center which is featured in this year's showcase and, as mentioned, on the issue's cover. He joined us to discuss the library's features and how its design reflects and showcases the heritage of this historically black university. To begin with, I wanted to know, how did Moody Nolan
1: come to work on this project?
2: Very interesting. Um, I definitely always have to point back to... uh, Kurt M- Moody the founder of our company and our CEO Jonathan Mo- Moody both of them had a significant part in uh you know getting to this project uh a- as well as a number of others but i think we came to work on the project because you know we we've been targeting uh this project as soon as we found out it was even a possibility uh Moody Nolan has a long history of doing uh, library facilities, we've done it, you know, 50 plus. We have worked at over 130 colleges and universities, and we have, uh, done a number of projects on, on HBCUs, uh, over 30. And then we also knew that this had a, a really strong cultural significance. And so we, we were, we were eyeing this project for a while.
1: Oh, excellent! Um, Now, when you just mentioned that that Moody Nolan, you work extensively with libraries. Now, when designing a library, what is the first step for you as an architect?
2: Well, well, the first thing is to do a deep dive, and just I mean, even before we get with the client, is doing a deep dive into understanding the the impact of what this is going to be to the, the to the surrounding, not just the building, but how does it impact what's around it. Um, libraries are a place of possibilities and I, I always say that. that's why I love working on libraries you can go there and find just about anything but what we do is we always identify uh, and, and engage the project empowered representatives so for for Texas Southern that was um, you know obviously the, the former TSU president Dr. Lane in his cabinet as well as uh, Dr. Payton who's the executive director of library services and then the constituents who is this going to serve And so we we have to know that first before we do anything. I think that the other thing is we need to establish a project, the project guiding project directives. You know, what's the ultimate goal and what's going to be a win for for the end user before we do anything, before we put any pen to paper? uh, I guess we don't do it anymore. It's all computer. But (laughs) before we get to designing, those are the things that we do.
1: And as you just you just mentioned the constituents, um, what is the process like working with all the different stakeholders involved in a in a a library, a university library in particular? What's the collaboration process like with you, with uh, faculty, staff, university librarians, the li- whole library system, and the yeah. donor?
2: Well, the first thing, our goal is for consensus, and so we do that by <clears throat> engaging all of the constituents early. Uh, in multiple forms. And so it's not just one way because we know different people have different learning styles, you approach things differently. Uh, so we try to take really kind of abstract concepts and put them in forms where people can absorb them. So we do a lot of interactive workshops, uh, things things that are tactile where people can actually, maybe they get blocks or they get things that will represent, uh, you know, what they're thinking about, what's important to them. So we instituted a number of workshops, as well as surveys, as well as uh, we had some open forums, uh, so that all of those constituents can either write questions down or write comments down. We had a lot of visuals, so that they could, you know, based off their first impression, they might be able to say, oh, I I like that that glass, I like that wood, I like this or that. But again, we, we used a number of different uh, kind of public engagement tools to be able to engage those constituents.
1: Well, excellent. And um let's talk about a bit about the uh, the library's or the university's previous library. What did yeah. that look like, and and what led them to decide to to build a new facility entirely?
2: Well, the things I know about the, the previous library was the Robert J. Robert J. Cherry Library. It had served the university for over four to five decades and it was one library that had over the years started to absorb a lot of the content from the di- uh, distributed libraries so TSU had a kind of a, a distributed library um um way of doing things and so there was an assessment done prior to us coming aboard uh that f- facility was i believe it was you know it was one facility that actually be- was one main building that had, I think, three three renovations, three additions over the years, and so it it had definitely served its purpose, but it was it was a little dark. Um, the 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 way in which students circulate and move around and the things that they 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 needed, it it, it had it had served its purpose, and so mm-hmm. the in talking with uh, Dr. Payton, she 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 laid out a number of things. The library it was not as flexible as they needed it to be. It did not have very much natural light kind of getting into the center of the library. Uh, the 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 services were not distributed around the library. They really were in you know a, you know a couple of locations. Uh, it did not have the ability to properly display. All of the culturally significant collections, arts and artifacts that they that they have, they have an, a massive collection or multiple collections, and also it, it they weren't able to uh, upgrade or adequately display any longer the the contents of the book stacks and you know um, special collections, those types of things. Even though there were a place for it, they weren't they couldn't be featured as well.
1: Mm. And um, so this new facility of yours, you had mentioned um, the lack of light in the the previous building. And one thing that I love about this new library learning center is this five-level atrium that you have, this massive, just beautiful um, space that really brings in so much natural light. Um, For me, that was one of the the buildings' standout features. But in your opinion, this new center, uh, what are some of its standout features in your opinion? Well, that that's a loaded question. <laughs> because
2: there there are so so many, but I, I do have to take one step back to kind of explain that, to kinda of frame that. When we when we when we started the project and the goal was for this to be a beacon, a place that would kind of welcome people or call people. They they use the word home. Uh because a part of the constituents were, were community members, alumni, um, you know, faculty members, students researchers all of these folks they wanted to be able to bring so that atrium that that full story atrium really was meant to be the heart of that building and so you want to let light all the way in this column of light comes down I mean it's, it's a spectacular view when you're in, in a certain certain levels. And, and so we wanted to be able to to bring people in so that's a feature at the, bo- at the we have a we have a huge skylight at the top we have a collaborative stair at the first level where students can, you know, we want it to be a very active space. It is it is also directly across from dual entries that you come into this space and the uh, welcome center. Anybody that comes into the library comes into this heart and they can get any information they may need. We, the other, the other, the other things I'll mention <clears throat> is Many of the space, most of the spaces have dual or multiple purposes. We we had to make these spaces very flexible, so that large large groups, small groups can collaborate, can be collaborative in here. We also didn't want to have any really hallways. We wanted to have circulation spaces that as you're as you are moving through the library, you're you have an opportunity for active learning, which was also one of the directives. I mean, even when you walk up the stairs, we have we have a timeline that talks about the history of Texas Southern University. It features a number of significant things that they've done and it leaves room for expansion of what they're gonna do. Uh, there's so much I could talk about there, but you know, we, we, we had opportunity to display art and artifacts throughout the library. It's not just in one location, it is as you walk around the library, so you're experiencing it. And I think we also, I think one of the most successful things that we did is as you're on the second floor and you transitioning uh to the southern uh end of the building you're walking through a gallery space and you're looking down towards special collections and special collections has glass around it and you can see what you're walking to so we're featuring this 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 rich collection of information that you that you're walking towards I, I i love that space
1: oh wow Um, Now, Texas Southern University, it's an historically black university. And um, how did that factor into the building design? I guess in particular the interior design, because you throughout the building there's photos of of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Barbara C. Jordan. There's phrases by Malcolm X and Colin Powell. Um, And you mentioned the timeline and being able to display the art and artifacts. Can you talk a bit about that, how that factored into the design of the facility?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, kind of kind of want to go back to one of the goals was to properly preserve and display culturally significant collections, arts and artifacts. Also with that are significant, uh, like significant individuals that have contributed to education and just to uh, just to society that we wanted to display all throughout. And so we actually went through a very interesting process with the university. They went through the university said, okay, these are, you know, we, we have, we had a long list of, of people that they had to vet to say, okay, we, we want to display this, this person, that person, this person. And it was an amazing task, but Mm -hmm. we were able to feature it just as you transition, you know, on, on end caps or on, on, on glazing as you go up the stairs as you walk down um you know maybe you're going into a conference room you are you're looking you know at a certain view we took every opportunity we could to try to display these features and it it, it was amazing it was an amazing opportunity to do so
1: oh awesome yeah it's um the entire place is um you know in addition to being just this beautiful architectural wonder it's like you mentioned it's by being by just by being in that space you are receiving an education it's it's yes. really wonderful um and what has the response been from uh students and faculty and and the administration and library workers to to the final to the final facility
2: i'll give you two stories um so when we when 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 the when the project was it still wasn't even complete and they were having tours and they brought in, I was, I just happened to be there and they brought in a, an alum, a long uh, time alum came in and um, th- this woman walked in. She was an older lady. She walked in, she looked around and she just began to ball. Her, her her eyes were just, I mean, it, it affected me. And, and so she said, this is what this is just a continuation of where we can go this long legacy that we have and I'm so proud to be a part of this university but she was absolutely emotional and and it it just you know we were standing at the bottom of the atrium looking up and we looked you know you're looking at various vistas and views we looked over at the alumni suite we looked over at the makerspace we looked up at the the atrium. We looked at the collaborative stair. We looked at the welcome center. We look—I mean, just everywhere—and and I was really affected by that. So that's one. Number two, uh, the the first several weeks, uh, I, I was I was talking with Dr. Peyton pretty regularly. That's the executive director of the library, and she said mm-hmm. the the um, there is a queuing system to, to secure the. Um, the collaborative spaces. We have a lot of little, small collaborative rooms. She said, "We we are absolutely booked, solid. All of the students were were were, were jockeying for position to be able to get on a list to utilize the the multi-purpose uh, flex spaces. That's amazing to me. That's yeah. that's how you know it's successful when the students." Are using it to, to a level to where you have to get on a waiting list. <laughs> so, Wow. <laughs> that, that to me, that to me has some success. You know, people come yeah. to the library to learn, but also with libraries, it's also about a place I can gather as well. And so I, we, we definitely enjoy seeing that.
0: What will your next library look like? How will it meet the needs of modern learning styles and adapt for the future? Tappe Architects has designed stunning, sustainable libraries that work, ranging from an AIA-ALA Library Building Award-winning library to lead platinum historic restorations. Get inspiration for your next library building project from our project gallery at Tappe.com slash Dewey. That's T-A-P-P-E.com slash Dewey. Tappe Architects, designing places that inspire. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit early this year, it not only caused libraries across the U.S. to close their doors and reconfigure how to offer services to their communities, it also forced libraries that were engaged in design and planning projects to rethink how they situate their spaces and services to account for life during a pandemic. Santa Cruz Public Libraries in Santa Cruz, California was in the process of remodeling 10 of its buildings when COVID-19 changed everything. I spoke with Susan Nemitz, the library's director, about how the library shifted its remodeling and rebuilding plans to accommodate the pandemic, and how their service model has changed as well.
1: Now, um, now your library, Santa Cruz Public Libraries, you, before the pandemic hit, uh, you were in the process of uh, planning to replace, remodel 10 uh, 10 buildings in your system, Uh, at what point did you realize that you had to drastically change those those plans to accommodate this new reality that we're in?
3: Well, I think um, I was a little flabbergasted in March when I realized we were going to have to close the public library. I think in my entire career in public libraries, it wasn't something I had really contemplated. In other sort of emergencies in the community, the libraries have managed to stay open and it was just um, really required a different way of thinking. So I would say right away in March, um, we kind of did a major shift, and then um, we kind of had a planning of let's figure out what to do for the next six weeks, thinking we were going to open again. You know, they closed us down entirely. Um, And then as we got into April, we realized this was gonna go on longer, and we really tried to figure out how can we reopen programs and services uh And the truth of the matter is here we are in August, thinking we'd be open by September, and the way the numbers are going in California it would be really dramatic if we opened before um January of next year so the the planning timeline just keeps shifting under us um,
1: mm-hmm. and one of um once you realized that you had to to adjust this timeline and and to adjust your plans, what was what was your first step?
3: I think the first thing we had to deal with directly, and I'm sure this is true of most libraries, is uh, what to do with the staff during closure. Um, and so we began. We did this major transformation of our IT systems to allow telecommuting, and really put almost 100 percent of our staff. Um, Gave them the capacity to work from home, Um, but after that, we really began to look at how do we provide uh, services to the public. So again, I think this was common. We did we looked at our our collection spending, and we converted almost of our all of our spending to uh, digital resources, Um, and then we began to work on how do we provide curbside pickup. Okay. I would also have to say we have a tell reference program and pretty much immediately we started getting about three times the calls that we normally get. So we, um, changed the staffing around tell reference, uh, to be able to support that. For our clientele, they also were making major switches, particularly folks that were used to print materials trying to um, get digital content, and what we found was that our our opportunities to work with people on the phone, in many cases, were taking 30 minutes rather than five, because they really needed some basic tech help with their own devices, in order to have access to library materials.
1: Now, the um, the, the 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 ten buildings that were, are being remodeled and replaced in Santa Cruz, at uh, what phase of that design process? um uh, was the were those projects in, and what alterations did you have to 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 make in order to accommodate like social distancing for example
3: well, um we have one of the ten done two are under construction three um the projects are in the process of being bid, and four which we can really still change, but I mm-hmm. think some of the changes are um Still adaptable to even the buildings we've completed. We had moved away from, uh, like drive up book drop offs. And, mm-hmm. um, what we discovered during this is people really like to be able to just drop their books at the corner far away from the building. And so, um, we've actually put, for example, drive up book drops at all 10 libraries again. Um, okay. you know, I think there's sort of a shorter term set of things that you have to do. Like, um, we've only opened five of our buildings because only five of our, our physical facilities support curbside. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you need a space where traffic can stop and line up. Um, you need a space outside of the, so especially if you have curb cuts in front of your building for like drop off and pick up of patrons. These are proving to be really great spaces for curbside pickup. If you don't have that, you're on a busy street, it's it's a hard thing to do curbside. And um, we're looking for places with uh, private parking lots. Um, one of the things we've done is extended the Wi-Fi outside the building. And mm-hmm. we find that we have um, uh, groups of people that will come and just do computing. You know, we always did allow this, but we've really extended the reach of that free Wi-Fi and made it 24 hours a day. Um, I'm just trying to think. We've um uh we've also started putting things outside libraries. You know, as part of our refurbishment, we really looked at creating outside spaces mm-hmm. and um but, one of the things we're doing is you know putting picnic tables and plugs. We're even thinking we have one library that we have a a porta potty so that people who are using the wiFi outside um have access to some of the resources that they normally need. Um, in terms of the outdoor spaces um we you know we live in a beautiful climate. Uh, year-round, and we didn't have very many outside spaces. I think you see this nationally as a trend in library buildings overall, but I do think um, – I always say that every square foot is sacred um, because we're paying over a $1,000 a square foot to remodel or replace library space, which is a really high cost, and it really yeah. puts pressure on library size, and it's interesting because COVID would – inform us to build bigger, physically bigger libraries, but we aren't going to have necessarily the resources to do that. So we find that um, the outside spaces give us extra room. Our peak usage times are in the summer, particularly around summer reading. And so by having outside spaces, when you have that program of 200 people, um, you can actually Uh, create more physical space in the library by having some outside spaces that can support programming. Um, One of the things I think that's interesting that we're also blessed with is our HVAC systems. I I think you're going to see a lot of changes in HVAC systems. Um, And we're all going to, of course, wait for more of the science to come in. But it does appear that closed HVAC systems Um, and interior um, contact with people uh, more likely spreads the virus. And so we've built all of our libraries so that they have windows that open. Um, And we're doing a lot of um, panel doors where you can open a whole wall up to an outside space um, and then create sort of an inside-outside space. Again, we did that originally just just to give us more physical space in the building. But I do think this is going to help us through the COVID years um, by, by allowing more social distancing within the library. Now, I was raised in Minnesota and was a library director for 12 years in Minnesota. I think in colder climates, it's really difficult to do windows that open because often that messes up your heating and air conditioning mm-hmm. cycles. Um, but it is going to be interesting um with this airborne virus, how we manage those systems um, one of the things i just I'm sorry I keep talking, but um one of the things that we had traditionally done is consolidated our computing and it was a way of sort of self managing computing spaces if a lot of people were computing near one another, some of the Bad behaviors we see um, mm-hmm. just didn't get out of hand. Um, but one of the things that COVID is really um, pushing us on as we look to actually open the buildings to the public is um, the computers are all too close together. And our solution to that really is moving towards um, a laptop model within the libraries rather than a desktop model. So people can check out a laptop for the day and go to any place in the physical building rather than be statically um, by one another uh, in close proximity. And then we're also purchasing Chromebooks for overnight or weekly uh checkout because so many of the students in our communities are using Chromebooks, but not all those students had access to them, particularly in the summer.
1: That's yeah, interesting. Actually, it seems like you're you're quite lucky because a lot of these these things were already in place before the pandemic, and uh, most of the foresight to not to see it coming, but to um, what you have in place seems to be working pretty well um, already. Um, but I was just curious, um, what uh, with some of these these things that you're working on, and and with the the the, uh, the buildings in progress. Um, How much involvement are, say, the architects or interior designers involved in the other? sources are a lot of these things that just you and your staff are are implementing yourselves?
3: The County of Santa Cruz really involves a lot of people in building processes. So we have community members on our design team. The friends of the library are very active in um, the design and implementation of both the facility and the services. And then we also have four governmental jurisdictions that we work with. So I think we have a lot of input into these. But I do think people are just really beginning to struggle with this. And I think the elephant in the living room for libraries is that they're really – their mission is to be part of the social infrastructure. At a time when I think the social infrastructure – is breaking down in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few places that um, we collect as human beings across uh, ethnicity, across age, uh, across uh, political spectrums. There are very few institutions we have left that are community gathering places and um, the thing I have to say is COVID works against in many ways everything we're trying to achieve achieve um, as libraries. You know, we're trying to increase civic life. We're trying to help uh deter inequality. Um and and we're trying to fight polarization of our society and we're trying to integrate ages um and ethnicities in the library and the most difficult and painful thing about this crisis is uh covert works directly against the mission of the library
1: yeah now with um, when do you anticipate and you you'd mentioned the the um, the phases of development in your in your buildings uh, when do you anticipate reopening with some of these new elements in place and and has the how has the i guess the pandemic affected the the opening schedules?
3: Um, it is affecting. We did have about a two-month period where um, construction on some of our projects ceased, but they're all back up and running. Okay. The good news is staff has had time to do a lot of the processes that they need to do to get the buildings, so we're a little ahead on some things. Um, but we're also now being aggravated by significant budget cuts. So we've lost um, 36% of our staff hours as of July 1st. And so right now, what we're trying to do is stagger openings and closings for the next two years um, so that only a portion of our branches will be open and so that we can get through this a bit. Um, But again, I think libraries across the country's budgets are going to be um, cut deeply as a result of loss of property tax and sales tax.
1: Yeah, uh, and and for those those libraries and, and libraries every library across the country we're all, we're all on all the same the same boat right now. What advice do you have to for them um, as they try to adjust their spaces? Um, what do you have any words of wisdom or or anything at all to share?
3: Well, the first thing I would focus on your missions. Um, Art is connect, inspire, inform. I know, I know a lot of folks have um, things that are related to that. Um connection's really hard right now. Uh, interestingly enough, inform and inspires doing pretty well. Um, but I would say follow your mission. We all need to develop priorities during this, and there's no way we're going to end up doing all of the things that we've been doing in the past. So we need to talk to our communities and talk to our staff about what's most important and what's missing. We just did a dialogue and what everyone came back with is we need to be providing more services around the digital divide. And then the second thing that people came back with to us was we need to support K-12 teachers, uh, students, and parents through this really difficult time because everybody's very much struggling.
0: That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Many thanks to Wardell Ross Jr. from Moody Nolan and Susan Nemitz from Santa Cruz Public Libraries for joining us today. Tune in next month when we look at projects coming from small and rural libraries across the United States. Until then, find us on Facebook and Twitter. We can reach out to me personally at DeweyDecibel at ALA.org. We want to hear from you. Story ideas, praise, complaints, anything at all. Lay it on us. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decimal Podcast.